Hello, everyone. My name is Lucien Zaborowski. I am the Associate Head of Marketing here at Creatio. And today I am very honored and uh, excited to have with me Barton Goldenberg, the founder and president of ISM. On this topic that we define as Digital Transformation 2021, the future ready best practices and trends. Let me hand over to you and uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, of course, and today's topic. Well, thank you so much and a hearty good afternoon or good evening or good morning, depending upon where you are. It's with great pleasure that I have the honor to present to you my thoughts on future-ready best practices and trends as we move and continue to move in our digital transformation efforts. Let me tell you briefly a little bit about myself, a little more. Um, I have been around for 36 years in this industry. I founded a company back in 1985 that focuses on thought leadership and customer strategy and have published and lots of books and articles and presentations and so forth ever since. So it's um, what I'm going to do is build upon some of the stories that I've had uh, encountered along the way in these last 36 years and share them with you as we look at future best, future ready best practices and trends. So the company that I am president of, which does business on a global basis is focused on six, we call them practice areas, digital transformation, CRM, digital communities, customer engagement, data analytics, and emerging technologies. We're gonna focus on digital communities, digital transformation, a bit on data analytics, and quite a bit on emerging technologies. And I've had the pleasure of working with some of the world's best companies. Many of them, most of them are global, but we also work with mid-sized companies that are keen to lead in their industry in the area of customer strategy, and implementation. And let's look at what I predict to be the five most important digital, um, or we'll call them um, best practices and trends that are likely to happen over the next five or so years. And I'm gonna talk about them individually and I'm gonna give you a couple of examples of each one. So let's start with the first of six future ready best practices and trends, and that's the concept of digital communities. Now, in the old days, we used to call these social communities. Most of them were public communities. They were things that you might see on Facebook or on Twitter, LinkedIn, a variety of different communities that were open to whomever belonged to that community. And it was open to the public. Well, I'm gonna to talk today about what are called private digital communities. And they all started when we began to get more comfortable with online meetings every other opportunity, whether you attend a conference or talk to your boyfriend or girlfriend or your, your spouse, you know, online meetings are simply the way we are doing business today. Now, some companies have gone a step further and have created what are called internal communities. And those are digital communities where employees talk to employees, or we talk about solutions to a difficult customer situation, or we talk about vacation policies, or we have a blog from the president of the company. And those are internal communities. And those too have helped people become comfortable with the use of these online community tools. Well, today, what I wanna talk about is more something as I alluded to called the external digital community, also referred to as a digital hotel. Now, I know there are many of you from different parts of the world, but there's a very famous hotel in San Francisco in the United States and California and it's in the, in the Embarcadero section of San Francisco. And it's a very beautiful building. It's a bit old now, but when it first began, it had a gorgeous, 
lounge, an atrium where you come in and, and have a drink with your friend or, or a little bit of tea or whatever. And then above it, there were the conference rooms. You can kind of see them in the second and third floors. And then above that were these individual hotel rooms. And it, it came up in a pyramid. And it was a really spectacular architectural uh, accomplishment. Well, the way I look at a digital hotel or a digital community is very similar to the way the Hyatt created their hotel in the Embarcadero, namely a digital hotel that consists of, and here we go, it'll have a lounge on the bottom of the digital hotel. Now, digital hotels are open to anybody you invite to join the hotel, but it's not open to the public. So you can open, you can invite your customers. They have to register and make sure they're legitimate. You can invite your employees. You can invite distributors. You can invite third-party subject matter experts or industry influencers, whoever you want, but it's a closed community. We call it a branded or private community. And it becomes the hotel because on the floor, we have this lounge. Now, what happens in the lounge? Well, we have blog, we have polls, we have surveys, we have forums. People can talk to each other and they love the peer-to-peer -peer exchange. They love the ability to ask the expert a question and get a very quick answer either from the company sponsoring the digital hotel or other members of the community. We can do it in multiple languages. So I could be sitting in my home in Washington, DC, and I might uh, make a comment on a forum in English, and you might receive it in Brazil and Portuguese, and you might receive it in Spain and Spanish, and you might receive it in Japan and Japanese or Russia and Russian. And it's all done in a simultaneous real-time translation. So it's like we have a global, truly a global community. That's on the ground floor. On the second and third floor of the hotel, of the digital hotel, sit our conference rooms. And in the conference room, we invite various customers and or members of the community. Uh, of the, it could be the subject matter experts or third-party influencers or analysts or whatever. And we invite them to individual conference rooms. A conference room could be customer support. So that focuses uniquely on customer support or customer service. We could have a research and development room. That's a room that focuses uniquely on research and development issues or challenges. We might have an employee-only conference room. That's where employees talk to employees. Or we could have a we could have a distributor conference room where distributors talk to distributors. And the purpose of these conference rooms, we can invite people to lectures or presentations or special guests. And you know, they happen during the day, during the evening, whatever's appropriate. And now we have an ability for customers to talk to customers and us from the company, employees and, and, and third party experts talking to the customer so they have a good experience. That's in the conference rooms. And of course, when you finish a conference, well, you go downstairs to the lounge, you grab a virtual drink, maybe it's a beer or a cup of tea, and you talk with your friends. And you might fill out a poll or take a survey or, or respond to a forum or, or read a blog and, and just have fun. Just have fun talking about topics that are important to you. As we leave the second and third floor conference rooms, we enter the what we call the private customer rooms. In one of our hotels, we have 940 private customer rooms because they have 940 global customers. And what happens is the sales reps or sales engineers, they invite the customer to, to to visit them in the private room of the hotel. So they enter the hotel room, just like you do with a, a digital key. And in the room, they've got the whiteboards and all the data on the, on, the, on the company. And there they might do their annual sales forecast. They might do their financial planning. They may do quarterly reviews of sales or other things that are important. And it's a chance to have a little 
private one-on-one -on -one conversation with your customer and the company. As appropriate, you might call in special subject matter experts. You might call in the president of the company or the head of research or the head of production to address an issue. And of course, all this happens in the confines of a private digital room. You have a button on the wall to hit where you want to go to a Zoom meeting or a go-to meeting or a Teams meeting. So you can have immediately a digital online discussion from within the private room if that's appropriate. And for reasons I'll discuss in a minute, you can also click on a button that'll take you, if you're a customer, to the AV, uh, augmented reality, or AR and VR, augmented reality, virtual reality, um, parts of the hotel where you can actually look at products and services in action from that particular company. But these private rooms are a great way to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. And of course, when you finish with that conversation, you leave the room, you close the door, the digital board closes, everything is stored. You go downstairs to the lounge, have your virtual drink, and uh, talk with your friends, and then you exit the hotel as you feel appropriate. Now think about what's going on here. We're able to listen to what's going on with the customers, we're building a knowledge base against which we can apply artificial intelligence and lots of other things to help answer questions more quickly. And we have customers that are happy because they're getting answers to their questions quickly, because they're able to have peer-to-peer -peer exchanges 24 seven, meaning open 24 hours, seven days a week. And they're able to just be happy to be able to go to a place that knows them and cares for them. Now, from the customer side, it's one of the best places to have lead nurturing, because here we know when we bring a prospect to the community, we introduce them to a certain digital journey that we recommend. So we, we, we trigger them digitally. We say hello and welcome to the so-and-so community or digital hotel. Customers that first visit this hotel like to visit these three areas. Now we didn't guess that. We know what the best digital journeys, customer journeys are, are of our best customers. And so we are trying to help move that customer down the sales pipeline by getting them involved in a journey within the community that's likely to help them answer questions. So it's my observation for digital communities that we really do have an incredible business impact. And we measure it for all of the communities. We build these and so we know them very well. We grow the brand awareness. We, what we're trying to build is a place where people say, hmm, I really want to learn about oil lubrication. Well, they want to go to the Mobile Connect community because that's sponsored by ExxonMobil. Where they say, hmm, I really want to learn about the best, I don't know, food. And they go to the Craftworks, which is sponsored by Kraft, the Heinz Kraft organization. So we're building a brand awareness where we become a leader or we are a leader and we invite people to our home, to our digital hotel. It's also a very nice way to secure customer engagement. We do a lot of post-surveying, but customers love the, the community. In fact, in one recently completed survey, they said that it was the best place in this global corporation of literally uh, hundreds of thousands of employees. It was the best place to get a question answered quickly. And I mean, that was quite astonishing to the executive team. And then I've already talked about measuring sales and, and lead nurturing, the ability to move a customer, not, not telling them how to do things, but encouraging them and letting them discover your company, your products, and your services. So that's the first area that I would like to come as a future. And that one really is here today. It's not so much a, a future-ready best practice. It's a, it's a here-today best practice, but it is definitely a trend. And, and as we adjust the new norm, more and more companies are turning to the digital hotel is a great way to create a two-way dialogue, a two-way dialogue between themselves and their customers. And of course, in a digital hotel, you can link that to your website, you link that directly to your CRM system. So as a new lead is identified in a, in a discussion, the monitors of the community send the lead into CRM. You can connect that with other different parts of your digital, emerging digital uh, you know, transformation. Okay, 
Second trend I'd like to cover is that of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Now, the truth be told, today's efforts are more on the machine learning side than on the artificial intelligence side. But the, the word artificial intelligence has caught our imagination since the 1950s, and I'm going to come back to the AI in a moment, but really the, the most of the work today, the algorithms that we talk about are being done through a machine learning capability that leverages AI concepts. Now listen, there are dozens of really exciting AI concepts. You know some of them. You go for an X-ray, today we can use AI to determine if you have a tumor or whatever, as well or better than the radiologist because we have looked at so many images and know exactly what looks like a tumor in an, in an image. And AI does a brilliant job at visual recognition or location recognition. You could take a picture of me probably and figure out by what I'm wearing and, and the background that I'm in, you know, I'm outside of with Washington DC and Bethesda, Maryland. And then we know the facial and speech recognition, all of us are using either on our, 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 our uh, iPhones or on our Android phones, a Siri or Cortana or many others that are existing. And you know, facial recognition, uh, controversial, but very important in helping to understand what's going on when a crisis happens. Now, one of the most important ones is that of, of language translation. And I'm, I'm sure all of you are using Google Translate or Microsoft has an equivalent as do others, but it's fantastic. It's completely based on artificial intelligence of you speaking it, recognizing you know, uh, your, the, the verb the word you're using and translating into multiple foreign languages, not just words, but phrases. There's all kinds of things with an accuracy now approaching or even exceeding 90%. So it's just been a breakthrough in AI. Autonomous vehicles, you are all familiar with that. You know, there's plenty of problems. They're not completely here, but we're really moving in the direction of autonomous driving and autonomous vehicles, all AI-based. Climate control modeling, all of the things that the Paris uh, Climate Accords are doing, and many other countries, all based on AI patterns, trends, forecasts, and reviews of, of prior models. And then monitoring on a real pragmatic basis, IT communication network traffic, and correcting something before it happens, all AI-based. So there's many, many, many exciting things that AI is, is, is impacting us on a day-to-day -day basis. But let's focus on the business side. And here we have lots of business trends. Now, so Coca-Cola is a global brand, and uh, for years it made Coke. And in the United States, anyhow, in many of your countries, we have these things called, uh, I guess you call them fountains. Fountains where you, you bring your cup, you put it under the fountain, you push a little lever, and the, and the liquid comes out. And what Coke noticed is when people bought a Coke, they would go and, and fill it with a Coke, but they'd go over to the cherry, uh, the cherry drink, and they'd put a little cherry in there. And they noticed time and time again through artificial intelligence that people were almost, you know, really preferring to have a little bit of cherry in their Coke. But they never would have known that because they didn't a Coke, they didn't visit all of the restaurants that had the fountains. And so artificial intelligence suggested you should try cherry Coke, which they did, and it's one of their biggest hits. Similarly, the, the cereal on the bottom, again, if I, I don't think you would know these unless you're from North America, but Ben and Jerry's is a wonderful ice cream from the state of Vermont up near Canada in America. And, uh, you know, they, they were wondering what's a new flavor because it's a, they're a, a wonderful company in the, the hills of Vermont where there are cows and lots of milk and, and people have relaxed and easygoing and they thought we should make some new flavors. And they used artificial intelligence to find out that in fact, ice cream, which is what they make, and cereal, which is what you eat in the morning. In this country, we eat a lot of cereal. People always talk about it. In fact, there were 50 songs, popular songs about cereals and ice cream. 
And artificial intelligence pointed that out. They would have never known that otherwise, Ben and Jerry's. So they made three cereals that are ice cream flavored. And guess what? Big success. So we can play like these, these little silly uh, stories, but in fact, the, the reality, Cherry Coke is a big success and cereal ice cream is a big success for Ben and Jerry's. But let's be more pragmatic. Lead qualification, lead scoring. We can look at whether a lead has, we ask the lead to ask a few questions, answer a few questions. Are you planning to buy? Where are you located? How long have you been in business? You know, what are you using the application for? There's many different questions we can ask when we are scoring a lead. But what AI does then is it looks back at leads of a similar response and gives you a probability that that's going to close as a, from a lead to a customer or not. And so we can adjust our scoring. We can adjust our qualifications accordingly. We're using AI in lots and lots of chatbots, and we're using them as a way to, you know, to have a conversation. And increasingly, sounds like a pretty good conversation with a with a chatbot, but but really sounds like a, a live person. And we're using that most importantly right now in customer service to uh, allow a customer to ask a question, to give the customer access to our knowledge base, and to use the AI tools to give them the most likely response to a question they may have. We're using AI very much so on sales forecasting based on customer behavior. See, a lot of people forecast on prior behavior, but if you can go out and look at current behavior, if you can bring in third-party behavioral characteristics of that particular customer, we can mix past behavior, present behavior, and our demographic or psychographic or different lifestyle trends, we can bring them all together and give a, a, a bigger, a better probability of the sales forecast based on uh, customer behavior. And again, the AI looks at prior models, prior forecasts, prior knowledge, and it uses that to help better predict the existing forecast today and in the future. So all of this really comes down to this concept of enhanced decision-making and predictive modeling. And any of you that have been on Amazon and bought something and then come out with something, they, they might ask you that people bought this like that, or a week later, they might say, you bought this, you might think about that. You know, sometimes it might be seen as, as flawed, it has some challenges, but sometimes it's really seen as that's really good because in fact, I needed I needed that product again and I completely forgot about it. So there's a better, you know, the more, given the amount of data that we have today, it's imperative that we use the tools that are available like AI to make sense of the data and to help us through predictive modeling and other such techniques and algorithms to begin to, to enhance our decision-making capability. AI doesn't make decisions, but it gives executives a new input, a better input, a more comprehensive input to make that better decision. Now, you can also use AI to personalize marketing material. You know all about the customer through a variety of different, either their customer profile or interactions or transactions. And you can use AI to figure out what is the best way to configure a marketing piece, a special offer to that customer based on prior behaviors of customers that are similar to that customer. And also something very important is, again, as we're getting more and more data, is the ability to use AI to cleanse data and to, and to actually enter data. And that's very important because a lot of people don't like to enter data and there's a lot of dirty data. And what is amazing, if you, as you learn more about um, how AI works and the algorithms, how machine learning works, you realize how it really is refines its, its, its learning and, and learns each time from you know, what you're doing to better cleanse the data so that you spell the word right or the name right or deduplicate the name and so forth. So you, know, you think, well, I wonder how long AI is gonna be around. And I wonder if it's really going to be a trend and whether it's really going to prosper. And it would be my observation that, that it's around for two very important reasons. And I call them key drivers. So one of them is the unequivocal explosion of customer and market data. 
And nobody can deny the amounts of data that we're able to gather through our cell phones on customers or through our websites or through a variety of different means. And the more we know about our customer, the more likely we're going to be in a position to satisfy our customer. So that's not going away and AI is not going away as a result. There's also the acceptance of the cloud that is enabling both CRM to integrate with different data sources and to use AI and other data sources coming from the cloud to make better decisions. And again, cloud computing is doing nothing but booming. And uh, you know whether it's uh, Amazon Web Services or whether it's it's any of the services that are offered from a variety of different customers and, and, and vendors um, is a tremendous growth in the whole area of, of the cloud and web services. Think about you know, how, how many CRM vendors are now you know, offering products in the cloud. I said I'd come back to AI before I move on to the third trend, and that's what I put in the red box. Because I finished a book recently called The Guide for Thinking Human Beings. It's by Michelle Mitchell. It's, it's the, the book is in the, the name and, and the author is in the red box. But this was the one line I took out of the book. Human intelligence is a marvelously subtle and poorly understood phenomena. There's no danger of duplicating it soon. So while AI has for the past 60 years tried to take our brain and model how we think and so forth, it's not happening. We're very complicated creatures, but using machine learning and, and based on AI concepts is a tremendously important future business trend and, and, uh, and something that we should keep an eye on. Okay, trend number three. I now wanna look at something that is very, very important. And that is the whole area of virtual reality and augmented reality. And it's really quite amazing what is going on in this industry. So for those that are not familiar with these, these, these tools, um, the virtual reality and augmented reality are simulating specific business situations. In the case of virtual reality, it's about enhancing your training or customer experience with a customized virtual world created to that specific business situation. If it's on the AR side, augmented reality, you're basically overlaying digital objects onto a, a, a real world environment, beginning with simple data realization. You can take your, your phone or your laptop or your computer and then bring in objects and begin to manipulate those objects within your environment. They're both very important. It's probably the most disruptive technology that we will see for the next 10 years. And just look at the growth. $12 billion business in 2020, $1.5 trillion business is the forecast in 2030. That's a really significant growth. I would suggest this that AR, VR are destined to become one of the building blocks of CRM or within CRM um, and within the enterprise. So let's look at a couple of examples of how people are using augmented and virtual reality and, and, and to learn a little bit more. So the three most, I think the three most prevalent uses of virtual reality and augmented reality are in training, remote collaboration and marketing and sales. Let me tell you what I mean. So we have on the training side, uh, we have Mercedes Benz in my, in my country, in North America, in, in America. They trained uh, 1,200 technicians on how to repair machinery in cars and elsewhere through um, the whole augmented reality training session at 383 of their car dealerships. And it's an ability to take the training of, of an individual, and it could be, in this case, a, a car company, could be on the, on the factory floor, it could be, there's lots of different things we train on. We're talking about taking training down from, from days or weeks 
to hours or days. And the way we do that is with interactive training. We put them inside the training. We can have quizzes and we can have um, you know, all kinds of interactive learning. And it's just a way of shortening the learning cycle. In the remote collaboration and field service, as you can see with this gentleman, he's got his headset on and he's got a gentleman to the right in the screen that's a, that's a supervisor, it's a subject matter expert. That subject matter expert happens to be in another country, but it's irrelevant. And what they're doing is they're doing remote uh, assistance or remote collaboration. And a lot of field service are doing this. They get to a particular situation. They're, uh, they're confused or they don't know the answer. And they can call back to a, a subject matter expert located somewhere else. And they can see the exact same thing and guide them through it and maybe give them some knowledge on a, on a diagram or, or, or a lesson. And then they can continue the task. And this is very important in lots of applications. Medicine is one and, and, and many, many more. I also think a very important area for virtual and augmented reality is the area of marketing and sales. And I put some blueberries up there because one of our customers is a blueberry company. They make uh, most, of the, most of the bushes for blueberries around the world. And a blueberry is very, very tasty, very good, good fruit and very good for you. And uh, this is a story of, of people that don't always understand how, how to grow a blueberry or when should you prune or cut back a blueberry or how high should the blueberry be or how much water should you put in or what's the pH factor of the soil. And what you learn through this whole augmented and virtual reality is I can take you to my blueberry nursery and on a virtual tour, I can show you what's going on and I can you know, bring up a root and show a problem that we may have with the root or I can bring in a subject matter expert from my applied sciences or research development and talk through a situation. And again, I think we're gonna see much more AR and VR being used inside a company where you might be in, like I talked about in the digital hotel. You say, I'd really love to look at that new blueberry, uh, that variety, that new type of blueberry. Could I go there? Oh yes, it's in Romania. Let's just click on this button. And we take a trip to Romania and we look at the various you know, bushes growing in that particular variety around the world. So I think there's a huge future for augmented reality and virtual reality. We've done a lot of executive briefings on augmented and virtual reality. And based on that and the growth forecast, I can tell you this is a very important future trend and, and practice. Okay, I'm gonna move right along to keep us on time. I'd like to look at the internet of things. Another very, very important reality, uh, a trend and best practice. So let's look at what is it that is allowing the internet of things to be as important and grow as it is. So what is the internet of things? Well, it's a network of connected physical objects that are embedded with one or more type of sensor. So the ones we often know are beacons. They're a little small, uh, a beacon might be this size. They might be even smaller, could be this size. And they're embedded inside an object. There are RFID, radio frequency identification tags. There could be digital signage. There's many different ways to build in uh, these uh, sensors, to embed the sensors. You can put them inside cars and buildings and refrigerators and telephones and you know milk and all kinds of things. Well, that market size, which as you can see is a little bigger than many of the other topics we've spoken about so far, is about a $200 billion market two years ago. And that's still on trend and on forecast to become a $1.3 trillion market in the next five years. And what we're seeing is lots of core applications for the Internet of Things. So predictive equipment maintenance, the ability to embed a sensor in a piece of equipment on the factory floor to sense when the machine is likely to break or there's an issue, it's overheating, 
uh, you know, uh, it's being stressed in a certain way, and it will trigger through uh, various um, digital signals to the internet and back to a control room or whatever is looking after that particular sensor. We have an issue, so you can proactively either correct it or make sure it gets taken care of before we have severe damage. We are using it a lot in smart transportation. So lots of places are using embedded chips, particularly autonomous vehicles, to move various um, vehicles around to various places. Uh, we can use it inside trucks. We can use it inside um, the, the, um, the container ships. And what we're doing is we're monitoring the movement of anything. It could be, again, the car, the truck, the container. It could be an object inside the car or in the container. And what we're able to do is to monitor the movement of that particular object as it goes from part A to part, place A to part, place B, et cetera. And so we're seeing a lot of IoT Internet of Things embedded inside the transportation industry. We're seeing also it inside demand-aware warehouses. I saw a very interesting example of IoT yesterday with one of my clients. So here they're, they're embedding the chip inside the actual warehouse racks where you store the various goods. And as the person comes around to pick the product to, to, so they might deliver it, say it's Amazon or something, they're going to, they have a, maybe a, their a scanner or they have their smart glasses. They're looking at the uh, Internet of Things. It gives off a signal and it says, I just took one of those products from this particular shelf. I put it in my cart. I need to refurbish that later on. And so what's happening is based on how people are buying, what they're buying, the trend of buying, you can make your warehouse what we call demand aware. And what that means is you can, uh, you can set up your warehouse where the most frequently requested items are at the front of the warehouse versus those that are at the back of the warehouse. And again, all based on IoT technology. So we talk a lot about the connected consumer. And this is the ability as we talk more and more about what might refer to as a, a smart city or a connected city. And here we have the ability for you know, buses to talk to cell phones so we know what time they're going to be arriving and the IoT sensor is in the bus and the sensor may also be in your cell phone. We have you know, uh, trucks talking to the loading dock of a, of a company so they know when the truck is gonna arrive and how much is going to be uh, delivering. There's all kinds of ways that we connect consumers. There's a wonderful story in this country in the, in the um, football stadium, American football, called Levi Stadium out in San Jose, California. And here, if you like uh, to go to a game, it's all IoT set up with beacons and, and various um, tags throughout the stadium. And if you've logged into this application, when you enter the stadium, it can show you how to get to your seat. So it tells you, I know where you are. Now, let me tell you how to get there. Or if you like a particular type of uh, hamburger or some terrible American food, you can order a hot dog right from your seat and you can get that delivered to you. So we're seeing this whole concept of consumer being connected to consumer. But the one I want to focus on that I think is really quite spectacular is what we call smart store. And I want to share with you a story, uh, a case study of a, of a company in New York in the Soho area. Soho is a, a part of New York City. And it's a, it's a shop called Rebecca Minkoff. It's mostly for millennials, but they have wonderful and fun clothing. And about, I think it was 2017 or 2018, what uh, the company decided is they were going to create what are called smart rooms or smart mirrors. And that's where you would try on your clothing. So now you, you take your clothing from the, you know, from the racks. They all have an RFDI tag on it. And you'd bring it into the dressing room. And again, this is all, you know, confidentiality. This is all very carefully protected. But you try on the clothing and, and you know, you say, hmm. I'm not so sure I like this color. Well, you click on the, the smart mirror 
and it'll automatically change the colors for you. You say, this is a little tight on me. I like it a little bigger. You click on the button, it gets a little bigger and you can see it that. You say, no, I don't really like the collar that button's done. I like a collar that is open. You click on another button and all of a sudden you see it there. Now you think, hmm, I'm not sure like this is not the right size. I'd like a size smaller. So now you click on the button that says, could you get me a size 32 instead of a 34? In my case, and it goes out to the sales rep, The all the items are RFDI tagged, so it'll automatically, the sales rep knows exactly what to take, and they bring it to the dressing room, and you can try on your size 32 pants or whatever it may be. So this is another example of how you're able to either, uh, you know, ask for an item, or you can say, I'd like to leave these four items, and they're all RFDI tagged, and I'd like to pick them up in two hours, and it knows exactly what items, and when you leave the dressing room, the, the associate comes in and packages them and puts them away for you. So think about this. You're able now for the customer to receive a much more personalized, unique experience. They can change the clothing, the lights, the styles, the colors, all from within their own environment. And all while that is happening, Rebecca Minkoff are using data and AI to understand what people are liking, what tops with which bottoms, and you know all kinds of different uh, understandings of customers to give them a better experience and to create a better clothing understanding. So I think that's just a, another example of, of how the Internet of Things is really um, beginning to open up on the consumer side, but it's a huge, important technology on the B2B side as well. So what is driving IoT? Well, we can open up entirely new business opportunities. I, I have three pictures here. Suntan lotion, something that uh, we're all accustomed to going to the beach. We put on a suntan lotion. When we were younger, our mother or father would say, put some more suntan lotion on. You're losing, your, you're getting red. Well, we never cared about it. And as we became teenagers, we didn't care anyhow because, well, we were supermen and superwomen, so we had no problem. And then as we become parents, we say, wait a minute, kids, put that lotion on. And now today, we have an Internet of Things sensor right in the lotion. It tells you what temperature it is. It tells you when you last put it on. It tells you how much you put on. So mom and dad receive a note saying, time for your kid to put on more lotion. And of course, you put that on. Nike, Nike, if you're a runner, really broke grounds when they created their whole experience of an Internet of Things sneaker that tells you when the sneaker is wearing out or when it's worn out or how many miles you've run or what pace you've gone. All an Internet of Things sensor. Or we see as we the, the, the IoT enabled warehouses, I talked about on-demand warehousing. This is another example of it in action where each of the items or each of the, the um, areas where we have the items have a barcode or an IoT sensor that allows you to scan and move very quickly. So that's the whole concept of entirely new business opportunities or delivering meaningful tailored customer experience. And the, uh, Rebecca Minkoff is a perfect example of addressing the unique needs of every customer in a way that makes them feel very important. Boosting business efficiency inside the warehouse, inside the factories, reducing operating costs by fixing problems before they occur, improving pro uh, employee productivity to know when to do what at the appropriate time in a production line or whatever it may be by using the sensors to you know, let us know what order to do things. A tremendous future for the Internet of Things. Okay, let's move on to our fifth uh, best practice and uh, trend, and that is 5G. Now, this one's a little bit different from the others because at this point in time, we're still about two to three years away from a real penetration of 5G technology in the networks, but there's still 5G that is being implemented regularly now. You see it around the world. 
Um, and that's the beginning of what is going to be an incredibly important evolution of, of network technology. Forecasts call for 45% of the world, of the global population, to be using 5G technology in the next three years. So that's something we just have to keep a hold of. Now, why is it a game changer? Well, it's a game changer in many, many ways and many different reasons. But some of the biggest ones are in manufacturing, where we now have the ability to take enormous amounts of data coming off of the machinery and all of the manufacturing plants and monitoring that in real time and using it, you know, whether it's the IoT sensors or a variety of different tools, but we're using that and sending it through the network, through the 5G network, more quickly with less latency, a better bandwidth density, there's a whole bunch of things that 5G networks do so that we can get answers and analysis much more quickly than we have in the past. Same thing for smart cities. And, and, and we have a picture of a smart city where you know, buses are connected to people that are connected to uh, you know, self-driving cars that are connected to shops that are self-service uh, shops and so forth. And this whole concept of, of smart cities. And we're, we have many of those right now that are, are, are being built in different parts of the world. But what the 5G network capability through faster connectivity, through extreme bandwidth density, and through ultra low latency allows is that we have an ability to do more, better, quicker, and with greater efficiency. And what we're now you know, focusing on is higher levels of security and reliability, because needless to say, when you have a, 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 a public 5G network and lots and lots and lots of data, well, if you hack that, you have lots and lots of data to hack. So a lot of companies are looking at private 5G networks as a way to drive that highest security and reliability of privacy that may be required. But without a doubt, the 5G technology is driving some of the trends that I talked about. You cannot have an advanced use of uh, demand-aware warehousing for IoT, or you can't have some of the AV uh, and, and uh, augmented reality and virtual reality experiences that I talked about, and even AI running on you know, the ability to run the packets and do the analysis. 5G is going to be a critical tool in helping to make that happen true for the digital hotel as well. Okay, let me come to my sixth one of future-ready best practice and trends, and that is the whole area of low code. Now, let me explain what I'm talking about. So one of the things that is absolutely critical for an effective digital transformation is that we have sound business processes, and a process would be the customer profile. What data do we really need to gather about a customer, on a customer? How long do we keep the data? Uh, when, when do we throw old data out and bring new data in? Or of sound process customer journey mapping. You know, when do they come into our company? What do they like to look at? How long do they stay? And why do they exit? Or closed loop marketing. We launch a campaign. We follow up with who likes it, who does it, and why. We bring it back around so that our next campaign builds on what we learned from the prior campaign. Digital tracking. I talked about that earlier, where we can watch how a person deals in our digital internets or on our private or public uh, social media or digital communities or digital hotel. And all of that is a process, a process of how a customer moves from A to B to C to D. And what we try to do is to optimize and make the best customer experience at each of the points A, B, C, and D. Now, it's easy to build and modify apps that and programs that can span across multiple departments and that are made in collaboration with your customers. But in order to build those apps, and to modify apps, we have to understand what is the way you sell, service, 
market. How do you, what's your process for returning a good and so forth. And all that's a big process that then gets built into an app. Now, what's the problem though with today's challenges in digital transformation? Well, we have broken customer facing processes. We do business process reviews for all of our customers all the time. And of course, if you automate a broken process, it only gets worse quicker. And of course, that's pretty silly. So what we're trying to do is to make sure we're not, we're not getting perfect processes, but we're getting them you know, optimized in, in, a, in a good way. And so what we're doing there is we're making sure that we have good processes in place before we try to um, apply any sort of application or software. We also have a disconnect between IT and business. So IT is thinking the technology component of the, of the app or the software, and business thinking potentially the business impact of the technology and they don't always see eye to eye and you know it's very rare to get a person that can straddle the fence and sit on both sides of the fence IT and business and that's a challenge that is happening in all companies there's disjointed technologies as we get to new technologies you know older technology may not fit you can't build easily APIs the data is not you know cannot easily be integrated there's lots of things that happen with technology and and that's a reality that is impacting our ability to digital transformation and then the deficit of skilled technical resources like app proliferation or people that can build digital communities or people that are competent in knowing how to build an augmented reality um, experience or, or even uh, in, in, install internet of things or, or other types of technology so we have these challenges and this is where low code comes in this is where low code comes in and plays a very important role so let's talk for a minute about low code so in the low code world what you're doing is you're enabling companies to evolve and to transfer faster in their use of technology in support of these business processes. So now what happens is the technology itself, the whole way of developing the technology extends beyond the IT department. You know, you can configure a business workflow using a, a product um, like Creatio, a, a great CRM offering, me as a marketing guy or as a business guy or as a sales guy. And, and it's really you know, foolproof, as we say, it's not gonna mess up the object or source code because it's built in a certain way that you can actually you know, allow people to, to actually create the process flow. Or technologies and processes and teams get consolidated and connected under a, a low code approach where different departments are actually working together so that we can begin to consolidate and, and think in one big team. And as I alluded to, business processes get programmed much more easily. You know, what was days or, or sometimes even weeks is you know, literally hours, minutes or hours today. And then the apps can get rolled out in days or weeks because we can build the business process right into the app. And using low code, we can enhance the app and come out with a solution that supports the business process. So I think it's really important low code as a, as a, a way of the future. But I, I will tell you that um, a company like Creatio is really leading the way in terms of low code. And so if you haven't already uh, you know, learned more about low code and how it's gonna impact your business, think about it um, and, and, and talk to your Creatio rep or whatever it may be, because it is the way of the future and it is gonna impact many of the trends that I talked about earlier. So today I have spoken um, about six different, what I call um, uh, trends, uh, re future ready business practices and trends. And I, I, I think it would be fair to say that the COVID-19 pandemic has really propelled digital transformation. I, I, I ride about 35 kilometers every morning and I took my bike down the trail this morning. You know, it takes me about an hour and something 
and I had a long thought about this, and I thought, if you think about this, COVID has really, it has, it has decreased uh, digital transformation. It has shortened digital transformation probably by five or 10 years, it, it, or at least five years, because we were forced to become digital quickly. And so COVID pandemic has propelled us. And now we have to look at how do we sustain our growth? How do we sustain our business within that propelled environment? And I think the six trends that I talked about, future ready best practice and trends, digital communities or digital hotels, artificial intelligence and machine learning, mostly machine learning, virtual reality and augmented reality, the internet of things, 5G technology and low code are in fact things that you must have on your radar. Um, I believe that it's you know it's something that if, if it's not on your radar, you know, invite a company like mine or anybody else that specializes in emerging technologies. Let us give you a one hour presentation on what's the most appropriate technologies for you. But any company that is not tracking and monitoring these and some other technologies really is doing so at your own peril. Okay, a couple of closing comments. I opened the discussion by telling you that it is no longer business as usual. And what I said at the beginning was all organizations must adjust to the new norm. Well, I want to add a second point to this. And that second point is customer knowledge and customer engagement are at the core of this new norm. And at the end of the day, whether we have a digital community or a digital hotel or a fantastic AI experience or AR VR experience, or whether we are you know, really using Internet of Things in an effective manner or leveraging 5G networks or low code, at the end of the day, the only thing that counts is did your customer have a better experience and did you engage with your customer more effectively and did you learn more about your customer that you can use in the future? And it brings me back to a core CRM concept that I'd like to again remind you of. It's the foundation of every effective CRM and many customer-facing technologies, and that's the holistic customer profile, where we put the customer in the middle of a, of a daisy, a margarite, and we ask ourselves, what petals of information do we need to know about that customer in order to service, sell, and market effectively? And where we knew many of the blue and, uh, and our and green circles of you know, what they did and when we visited and what they worth and when they complained and what products they buy, what is new in today's world is all of the marketing and digital insights we're getting from sensors and beacons and the new data, et cetera. So let me simply close by thanking you for the opportunity to talk with you. I'm delighted to continue the dialogue. I do business around the world. It's my pleasure and honor to be here. It's my pleasure and honor to have the opportunity to present to you. Look forward to hearing from you.